Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 41 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. Remember, you can follow our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around, and if you have time, leave a five-star review on iTunes. And before we start, I want to give everybody a giant thank you that has been listening to the show. As I always say, I know it is a very loaded marketplace for wrestling podcasts. We had another record month here in July, Jeremy, and it's a, it's a good time, and obviously I just threw it out there. Jeremy is joining me as always. Jeremy, what's up, buddy? Oh, I am doing well, doing well. Glad to hear that the the numbers are great. It might be a crowded marketplace, but only one podcast has the best wrestling reviewer in all of wrestling, the one Larry Zonka. This is true. I like to say that myself, but I mean, (laughs) you know, I try not to, but I feel that way. But yeah, I'll say it for you. But uh, we got a full show today. We are going to uh, do our normal G1 catch up. We have nights uh, 12, 13, and 14, and uh, in the second half of the show, we will preview the loaded SummerSlam weekend events, including the ROH Summer Supercard, NXT TakeOver Toronto 2, and of course, the big SummerSlam event. So, uh, Jeremy, we will start off today with G1, night 12, and uh, G1 is rolling along, it's a... all all systems are go. Everything is going well. Thoroughly enjoying myself. And uh, we start off with Block B action here on Night 12. Uh, we start off with the adorable Hawaiian booted Jeff Cobb defeating Shingo 12 minutes and 40 seconds. I thought this was a great hard-hitting match. Uh, one of Cobb's better matches. Shingo just... The dude is so good. He works well with pretty much everybody junior heavyweight alike. And a really enjoyable match and one I uh, thought was a great way to kick off the night of block action. Shingo's been awesome in this tournament. Like there wasn't much doubt that he wouldn't be awesome because he's he's a great professional wrestler and he can wrestle many different styles. Like the wins haven't been there, but he's in a um I mean both blocks are, are, are pretty tough, but he wasn't he was never I don't think pegged to have a whole lot of wins, but his performances are have really stood out and this was you know jeff cobb wrestles a a different kind of style he can wrestle a hostile and uh uh, with his amateur background and everything and shingo he can keep up with him um i really again not to i don't want to make it sound like i was downplaying shingo coming into this tournament but he's he's been super impressive to me like more so than i thought he was going to be and i had high hopes for him yeah, he's just uh, great, and I just I love the fact that he works well with pretty much everybody. And we still have Shingo versus Ishii coming up, and my God, that one could just that's be, gonna bang. Yeah, I am very much looking forward to that. And I know uh, coming up next here, Jeremy was obviously your match of the decade. Toriyanu <laughs> defeated John Moxley five minutes and seven seconds via Sublime Thievery slash Countout. Uh, if you missed a match, a lot of sh- uh, Yano shenanigans. Moxley tried to beat his ass. They ended up brawling to the floor, and Yano ended up uh, basically tying him to uh, Shooter Umino with tape, and that allowed him to steal the count out victory and give Moxley his first New Japan loss. What did you rate this match, Larry? Like two and three fourths. I thought it was a pretty good little match. It was entertaining. I mean, the, the Yano stuff, again, it's. 
the the best thing about the Yano stuff is not only is it a general night off for guys, but it breaks up the the general feel of the G one. And don't get me wrong, I mean I'm all for having a bunch of great matches, but I mean every once in a while it's fine to throw something different in. And it it was fun, and him and Moxley played well off of each other, and it was it was enjoyable. I have to apologize to the audience for calling Larry the best wrestling reviewer out there because he severely underrated this match. How dare you? This was about, I'm going to go 11 billion stars. That might even be a little bit too low. This is the greatest match of all time, Larry. I don't know how else you want me to put this. Um, there, there will never be another match in history that tops this. All wrestling should cease to exist after this match because it's it's only down from here. Toru Yano, the greatest wrestler of our generation, and maybe of all time as well, just completely put it on John Moxley. We thought John Moxley was this great big badass and he had everything figured out. I praised him on a previous podcast saying he's got it all down. And then he ran into Toriano, the sublime master thief. He was outsmarted, outwitted, outwrestled, outgrappled, out everything. And Yano, with the biggest victory, I don't know if it's the biggest victory of all time because Yano should just be expected to win these matches, but certainly. A, a ginormous victory for him in this tournament where for some reason John Moxley has been presented as this badass and here is Yano just completely getting the better of him 11 billion stars Larry fair enough I will give you that but yeah uh, Yano picks up the uh picks up the big upset on Mox and uh yeah he 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 got Yano'd man he uh and that was the 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 post match promo with Moxley and Shooter Imino was hilarious because he even said he's like we got Yano'd man and he's like it's like being robbed by a little old lady and he was just distraught over it and it was fantastic his post match stuff has been really good on the uh, the uh, interviews they post on YouTube you guys should uh, check those out if you're not but uh, yeah I mean again entertaining stuff with Yano and um. It just it, it played well and it was a good way to give Moxley his first loss because it's just he didn't lose via pin or anything and uh, but yeah it was entertaining man it was a Yano match and I know some people can love it or leave it and someone asked me that they were mad because uh, of my bias and my reviews why does bad luck Fale suck but you give Yano a pass because he's the so called sublime master thief and it's like my first thought was well Yano's shit is at least entertaining. Fale's matches are bad. I'm sorry, when you have bad matches with Osprey, Ibushi, and fucking Kenta, there's no excuse. Fale's terrible. Um, Imagine comparing Yano to Fale. Come on now. Uh, Yano matches are... They might hit a similar note every single time, but they're short... They're entertaining. The crowd is into everything he does. His charisma is off the charts. Fale is just a big dude who can't actually wrestle. No one cares. And they have to protect him with a bunch of... Like, they protect him with shenanigans because they want him to be some, like, type of monster that, as you've stated many times, should probably be Lance Archer at this point. But they want him to be some type of monster, so they protect him with bad finishes or just terrible finishes that do nobody any favors yano his his matches are like they're they're entertaining and they protect him with finishes that make sense not because he's a he's a bad wrestler yeah comparing Fale to yano is just just 
doesn't grasp the concept of professional wrestling. Yana is making the big mid-year push for wrestler of the year here with wins over Naito, Jay White, and now John Moxley, man. It's, it's going he should crazy. be. He should, he's the greatest of all time, Larry. So, but yeah. Should win this award every single year. Should be rena- renamed the Toru Yano Award, always won by Toru Yano. There you go. Uh, next up, uh, Naito continued his winning ways, defeating Juice Robinson, 13-45. Uh, very good match. Uh, Juice, again, he's he's really locked in here in the G1. He's been performing really well, and it's been great to see because, as we talked about last year, he didn't have the greatest G1. He had the injury going in, the injury angle that played throughout. and Didn't have a lot of higher-quality matches, but this year he's really delivering, and it's... Uh, I mean, it's not like he wasn't already a star because he's, like, ascended up and been doing really well, but feels almost like a coming-out party this year for Juice Robinson as he's just really delivering well, uh, especially ever since the Moxley match at the Best Super Junior Final. Yeah, we've said it before with, with Juice that he's had a really strong year, really starting last year with the Jay White match where he won the title. And yeah, he got caught up with the Chase Owens nonsense and that took him down. But once he got past that and got reinvigorated with this Moxley feud and into the G1, he's been great during this tournament. He was step for step with uh, Naito here. I guess the, the cutting of the dreadbox has, has really helped him. Um, Naito winning, not a big shocker. He was coming off the the moxley loss and when you saw moxley lose you knew people got to catch up to this guy in the in this tournament because it's going to be coming down to the final night it wasn't going to be moxley just running through going undefeated we speculated that that might happen but the 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 good money was on moxley falling back a little bit and other guys catching up to him and that's what we've kind of seen start to happen with this night with moxley losing naito winning and good match though i i enjoyed it yeah next up we had a uh, jay white uh speaking of guys that needed wins jay white defeating tai chi 15 minutes and 10 seconds it was a match where they tried to out shenanigan each other it was really overbooked and I never really got into it. I thought it was okay at best, but it was just not my cup of tea is the best way to put it. I, we're, not man, a good man. match. Yeah, and really, really okay. quick, I think the, the thing that really hurt the match the most, and it's something we talk about a lot, is the best part of the Jay White matches are his ability to counter guys and that like cerebral thinking and his counter wrestling, which is really, really good. And... He really didn't get to do any of that here. Like, the most entertaining part was him mocking Tai Chi constantly to, Come on, Mr. Vampire! And, like, and just, like, wacky shit like that. But that was about it. Yeah, the this... Tai Chi matches are always if it if you cut the bullshit with Tai Chi matches he can have good matches the problem is they only cut the bullshit maybe 15% of the time and this was one of those 85% of the times where they had it and the J like I think I think Jay White is very good, but he can have matches where the bullshit is, is prevalent as well with Gato being at ringside. And so they tried to out bullshit each other and it made for not a great match. They didn't really click on anything and uh, it's all Tai Chi's fault. I mean, fair enough. I'm not really going to argue that point. So, uh, And the main event was Hiroki Goto defeating Big Tom Ishii 18 minutes. Uh, they usually work really well together. Thought they had a great match here. 
Uh, Goto really needed to win to get back up into the mix like a lot of guys needed. And, uh, yeah, really enjoyed this one. Wasn't a, like, top-tier main event by any means, but I thought it was uh, great. Here's my problem with this match, and it's not that it was bad because it was good. Ishii and, and Goto always work well together. Um, I, I didn't – one, Goto has been soured on me really throughout this this whole year, starting with the the New Japan Cup and then into the G1. I love Ishii. He, he's great, and he's still uh, in the mix with, with this block. So uh, even even with the with the loss, um, I actually I think he should have won just to kind of really put the pressure on Moxley. But I guess you know Gato's booking. He's got this all figured out. My problem with this match is we've been spoiled by this tournament, and this match wasn't bad. But when you've seen the matches that we've seen in this tournament, you just expect more. From these matches and even if you don't expect more and even if it's a good match like I, I know you'll do your g1 recap and rank all the matches and stuff like this was a good match like on, as a standalone match this is a, a very good match you're gonna do your rankings and this might not even crack like the top 15 or top 20 in your g1 rankings like that's how good the wrestling has been in this tournament. So you watch this match you can realize that hey this is a very good match but you can also say like but it's not on the level of 15 other matches I've watched in the past two weeks. So that's kind of what hurt this match for me. It, again, very good match. We've been spoiled by this tournament. I think that's fair, and I get what you're saying about Goto, and I've seen a lot of similar reaction to that. It's like, again, it's not that Goto's bad by any means, but a lot of people just seem really flat on him as of late, and it's understandable, just uh, the way he's booked overall. It is hard to get behind the guy, and it's it's honestly been that way for a while. So He's a guy. Yeah. So we will move on to night 13 of the G1, which was A-block action. We started off, unfortunately, with a bad match, but it picked up really well from there. <laughs> bad Luck Fale defeating Kenta seven and a half minutes via pin. Uh, normal Fallet, bad match, not a lot going on. Kenta tried really hard, a lot of Bullet Club bullshit. And Fallet ends up cradling him for the win. And the less said about it, the better, honestly. Yeah, not good. Um, Kenta losing, he's kind of now, after losing to Okada, not cold, but then he loses to Fallet, kind of falling back a little bit. Um, and they got to they gotta keep Fallet strong in some way. Yeah, and that's, that's unfortunate, but I mean... Unfortunately, that is what it is. They Gato sees value in Fale. I don't see it at all, but it is what it is. Thankfully, things picked up really well from here. We had a lot of very good to great stuff following. Zack Sabre Jr., your boy, back on the winning track, defeating Lance Archer in a battle for Suzuki Gun and uh, for Minoru Suzuki's heart if he actually has one. But uh, <laughs> Zack won at uh, uh, just under 11 minutes. A very good match. Zach, great as usual. Lance Archer continuing to have a very good and strong tournament. I mean, pretty much everything he's done has been good to, good to great. And uh, just he stepped up again here, but uh, Zach picked up the win. Another good Lance Archer match, and he's been very impressive during this tournament. As I always say, tough to have a bad match with uh, Zack Sabre. Um, big guy like Lance Archer, you know what Sabre's going to do. Take out the legs, try to ground you, try to grapple you. Archer can work his power game. They they worked well together, and yeah, a good match. Yeah, again, um, a much-needed turnaround after that first match, and things kept getting better because we had 
Evil defeating Will Ospreay just over 17 minutes. I thought this was quite excellent. I thought they did a really good job of playing uh, the evil power game versus, uh, for lack of a better word, Will's fast slash flippy style. Um, It meshed really well throughout. I thought they built really well throughout the entire match to the end. Uh, Unfortunately, Will drops another one. Not the best record, but he's delivering some really great fucking matches. Yeah, Osprey's performances hasn't been an issue in this tournament at all. He's just not getting victories, which was, I mean, admittedly to me, surprising. He was in a tough block, but I thought coming off the best of Super Juniors run, he would kind of be up there at the end to show like, hey, he can hang with these these bigger guys and, and work this tournament. But New Japan does kind of tell that progressive storyline and progressive damage. And I you can kind of see that with the Shingo as well. Like both these guys are coming off hellacious super junior runs. Then they jump almost right into the G one, like they're, they're beat up. So it makes sense that they wouldn't be able to kind of beat these bigger guys all the time, even if they have the, are having these good performances. This is what I'm talking about with like Goto and Ishii. Like that's the main event. Very good match. A couple nights later, one night later, we get a mid middle of the pack match with Will Ospreay and evil. And like, it's a better match. Um, we're just, spoiled by this tournament um evil not the biggest fan but good match against will osprey unless you're bad luck valet tough to have a bad match with will osprey and evil has won me over a little bit during this tournament he's had some good performances good to hear man and uh so yeah but uh things kept uh being really great here kota Ibushi defeated the ace of hiroshi tanahashi just under 16 minutes just really, really great stuff here. Excellent match. Uh, they, they, they were telling the story really well. Of Obviously, they faced last year in the G1 Finals. And the fact that Ibushi reveres Tanahashi as one of his gods. And uh, a big win for Ibushi, who needed that to get really up into the mix with Okada. And, um, and he still has that match coming. Um, but yeah, excellent stuff. Tanahashi's been so great throughout this tournament. Um... To a point almost with a less is more style just due to him being so banged up, but also just being the really smart cagey veteran, getting the most out of everything and only going high risk when he has to. And unfortunately, he um, one of the high risks was he went for the aces high to the floor and hurt the knee and stuff like that. It's just it, it, And as you talked about, accumulated damage throughout the tournament. And that's been a big story with Tanahashi. They've constantly mentioned the knee. They've always they've talked about the arm injury from before the G1, and uh, just it, it all played out well here. Ibushi picks up the big win, um, and again, just an excellent performance from both guys. I like this match because it didn't go like super long, and it didn't need to. Like this is one of those matches where it proves that you don't have to go 25, 30 minutes to have, have a great match. You can work 15, 16, 17 minutes, still tell a cohesive story, still have a really great match. Uh, and that's what Ibushi and, and Tanahashi did right here. And Tanahashi is just, we've got to appreciate this guy while he's, while he's still around. Cause he's going out there. Like I said, on the last podcast, he doesn't have to do the shit he's doing because he's fucking Hiroshi Tanahashi and he still does it, still like busses ass in all of these matches. Abushi's always going to work hard. As you said, like this is is a rematch from from last year. Abushi is a guy who really looks up to Tanahashi and so that like they had the built-in story right there. They just went all action for 15 minutes, 
it's um abushi gets the better of him just just a fantastic fantastic match from start to finish yeah, and uh, to bring up your point about like it doesn't have to be long to be great. I mean, yeah, this uh, the Evil and Osprey match was just over seventeen, and this one was just under sixteen. And that those times I thought were perfect for both matches. They didn't have to be any longer, and it was also perfect because of how they worked the main event coming up next, which saw Sonata finally get off the Schneid and beat Okada, twenty nine minutes forty eight seconds. You had the feeling early on they were working towards a draw pace or at least teasing the draw. And I think that that was a great story here because when you look back at the past Sonata-Okada matches, Sonata had taken him deeper every time past 30 minutes. So it made sense that they were going to tease going near that 30-minute mark. And Sonata finally, finally picks up that win over Okada, which he desperately needed after going 0-6 against him. Uh, I thought the match was great overall. Not as good as the Ibushi Tanahashi and Osprey Evil matches, in my opinion. But I thought it was great. Uh, I will say, though, that the, uh, the closing two minutes or so was really, really excellently done. Um, they worked everything really well. And the best part is, is... They just didn't go balls to the wall at the end. They were like they were in desperation mode, but they were selling the time really well. And I thought the finish came off great. Um, they didn't get too close to the time limit, but it you could feel the desperation in the crowd just getting into it because they knew it was getting so close. So I think it played off just as well as it needed to. Good for Sonata to finally get this victory. I've been championing him for a while now. I wish New Japan would really pull the trigger with this guy and give him a, a title run that he deserves. I think he should be in the Intercontinental title run at the uh, in the Intercontinental title mix at the very least. Uh, he finally gets the Okada monkey off of his back and you know okada was running through everybody in this tournament so sonata beating him here is a big victory for him for for many many reasons um really strong match i, I love the cl- closing sequence because they they were getting dangerously close to the draw and you wondered all right it, are they going to do the draw to still protect Okada, still protect the whole Sonata's never beaten him thing, maybe do a rematch down the line because Okada just likes giving Sonata rematches for some reason, I guess because he knows he's going to beat him every single time, pad that win-loss record there, Okada. Uh, but no, Sonata pulled it out in the in the closing seconds here. Uh, love the closing stretch. The match, it had to go long. I understand why it went long. Um, but I, I'm with you. I enjoyed Tanahashi and Ibushi more. Um, well, not because it was shorter. I just thought it was a better match with a, a better overall story and a, and a better pace. And I guess that has to do with being shorter. It was on the level of, of Osprey and Evil for me, but still a, a very, very strong match. Yeah, so the A Block as we stand, uh, recording on uh, Monday evening here. Uh, A Block, Okada at 12 points, Kota Ibushi at 10 points, Evil at 8 points. He still has the Okada match to come. And those are the guys really in the mix. Kenta and Tanahashi both have 8 points. And they can get the 12 if they went out, but they both lost to Okada. So that is like the big hanging point. They're like... In theory, kind of technically in it, but really not. And then uh, you have Zack Sonata at six, Lance Archer, Will Ospreay, and Bad Luck Valet all at four points to round out the A block. 
Can Osprey please just finish with more points than Fale? God, I hope so. Like, please, please don't have them as the same number of points at the end of this tournament. Yeah, that would be a severe disappointment. So, it's it's Okada's block to lose. Still, Abushi uh, is right there. We haven't seen the the champion win uh, the G one tournament, and I mean, if anybody's going to do it, it, Okada would certainly be the choice to do it. Exactly. So. We now move on to night 14, back to B-block action. And that started off with Big Tom Ishii defeating Toriyanu 9 minutes and 15 seconds. This match was really, really good and not just in a fun Yano way. Um, There was a lot of fun Yano stuff, a lot of shenanigans, but uh, Ishii kind of rushed him at the beginning. Yano tried all of his tricks. He did everything he could to pick up the win via Sublime Thievery, but it did not work. And then, all of a sudden, we got super serious Yano. He was trading strikes with Ishii. He was firing up. He even knocked Ishii down. He started giving Big Tom everything he had. And I really like that mix of Yano when he can kind of mix that stuff in. And he tends to always do it with Ishii. They did it last year, and it's really entertaining stuff. Um, these guys work really well together. They obviously know each other really well as Chaos teammates. And at the end, Big Tom picked up the win. Really, really fun. Really, really good stuff. And uh, uh, Yano's, uh, you know, if from a technical wrestling standpoint, his best match of the tournament. Uh, just a lot of fun. This is where people should not compare Yano to Fale. Exactly. Because Fale... Fale's work in like 10 minute matches as well. And that's what this was with, with Yano and Ishii and Yano completely blew everything Fale has done out of the water because he is an entertaining wrestler. He is a comedy style wrestler, but he shows that hey, when he needs to get serious, he can get serious and he can hang with a guy like Ishii. Uh, Yano is Yano is the best. Yano number one. Um, good win for Ishii. He he needs it to sort of stay alive and in the mix. And Yano was even in the mix prior to this match. He might be out of it now, um, but and more or less out of it anyway. Overall, strong match. Yano is awesome. Please, if you're comparing him to Fale, knock that shit off. Yeah, seriously. Okay. My rate over this, Larry. I rate that someone has the audacity to compare Bad Luck Fale to the greatest wrestler of all time. It annoys me too, man. It's just because he's he's not Fale is not good. Again, at the very least, like Yano matches may not from a technical standpoint be very good sometimes, but the dude is at least entertaining, and the crowd is always into it. And I can't tell you the last time the crowd was actually into a bad luck Fale match. Uh, maybe Okada because Okada. Yeah, I mean probably, but I mean that's that's about it. But yeah, this was really really entertaining. Really, no really one, good stuff. No one is into a Fale six man tag like they are with Yano. Like every time Yano goes out there, he's getting some type of reaction. I'm excited for a Fale match when the second bell rings because it's over. <laughs> and I can, like, end my hell. So, but Very yeah, fair. really, really good stuff. One of the better matches on the show. Up next, Tai Chi defeated Juice Robinson, 12 and a half minutes. Okay at best. A lot of Tai Chi bullshit. Uh, 
he's dragged dragging down juice's average unfortunately and just uh watching tai chi pick up wins over certain guys is just so depressing you should do when you do your final average ratings and stuff you should do it normal and then throw out the tai chi and the phalle matches and and see what the ratings are gotta go up exponentially for a couple guys <laughs> yeah uh after praising Juice Robinson for his last match, he falls victim to the Tai Chi nonsense. And much like Jay White, not your fault, Juice. Just not your fault. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Tai Chi winning sucks. Yeah. Uh, next up, Hiroki Goto defeated the adorable Hawaiian Buddha Jeff Cobb. 11 minutes, 20 seconds. Good match. Um, it was... It was one of those matches that I watched it, I enjoyed it, I thought it was good, but it was just, it was missing something. It just never kind of broke the good barrier, never never teased feeling great, there was nothing wrong with it. It was a good professional wrestling match, and that's about it. You there? Yeah. Okay. I don't know what happened there. Uh, as I was talking, they can have better matches. I don't know why this one clicked or didn't click, but it didn't. And I kind of felt bad for both guys. I don't really blame either one of them. I just, for some reason, it didn't click. And we know they can have a better match with each other. Yeah. And like I said, I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but there was just something missing. It was weird. It was, again, I thought it was a good wrestling match, but it's just... I don't know. I, I kept waiting, kept waiting for it to get like really good or hit that next level. And it just kind of just stayed in second gear and it was, it was good, but uh, it's nothing I'm going to think about once the tournament's over. No. And this is going back to my point of, we've just been spoiled by really great wrestling in this tournament. So a match like this just doesn't stick out. Yep. So next up, Jay White defeated John Moxley, 15 minutes, 22 seconds. Uh, I thought it was an overbooked but overall very good match. At least the crowd was into the shenanigans. Uh, Jay White did a lot of his Jay White countering. Uh, Moxley was trying to destroy him right at the beginning. Didn't let Jay White do his normal stalling and stuff. Too much Gato and stuff. I think if you would have removed a lot of that stuff, the match is even better. Uh, I thought they generally worked really well together, and I enjoyed a lot of it. It just it didn't need the overbooking towards the stretch, the, down the home stretch at the end. No, not not at all. Um, I liked this match. I didn't love it, and I was really expecting to to love it because I've loved what Moxley has done in this tournament, and I I'm just a big Jay White fan, and it didn't quite click. And I maybe it's because their their styles just don't mesh very well. I mean, when you look at it, like Jay White and John Moxley styles probably don't mesh well if you're just looking at it on paper. So maybe it's not too surprising that it didn't quite work out. Uh, yeah, it, I was disappointed by this match. I think that's fair. And uh, one thing in the comments, someone was like, "Why don't people like Jay White? Is it because he doesn't do flippies?" No, no, there's a couple reasons why Jay White gets some flack, and it's not necessarily just because of him. Number one, there is a large group of fans that really liked Babyface Jay White. 
They liked his wrestling style a little better. They thought he was more charismatic as a babyface. But the other thing that people get upset with in the Jay White matches is a lot of people think he's a very good wrestler, and we talk about that all the time. The thing that turns them off is the constant overbooking. It's not that people are upset with Jay White. They like a lot of what he does. But when you have Gato getting involved like eight times in the last two minutes, it kills matches for a lot of people. Especially when you see it like in the Fale matches and then you see the bullshit in the Tai Chi matches. And especially having those guys in the same block. It doesn't really do either of them any favors because neither of them can stand out when you do that in two matches and a lot of times back-to-back on these cards. And so again, it's not that people are disliking Jay White or think he's a bad professional wrestler. They just get annoyed by the fact that it seems like he's having a very good to great match. And then like we talked about with like with Cody a lot of time, like the dog and pony show in the circus comes to town. And that just turns a lot of people off, and that's why a lot of people get upset with like WWE or other companies when they do that, because a lot of people just would like to see some really good matches with good stories. And it's not necessarily a great story when you're doing the same bullshit shenanigans in every match. So that's where the frustration comes in. Yeah, this is where it happens too often is is the is the knock on it for me because i don't mind the jay white gato bullet club shenanigans like that's that's what bullet club was was founded on and everything but the the issue with it is you do have tai chi and you do have fale and they're doing they're doing the same kind of shtick and when, when you're doing that, it just waters down Jay White's act. So when he does it, and this was the, a huge, huge issue with uh, the G1 last year that just made it not unwatchable because the matches were still great, but every time a Tamatanga or a Fale and even a Jay White match was, was on, it was like, all right, when's the Bullet Club bullshit going to happen? Because you just knew it was going to happen. Uh, so it, it's the same thing this year. They they don't have Tamatanga, but they, they do have Tai Chi, and he's not Bullet Club club but kind of does the a similar act like if you just have jay white doing this and he's doing it still at the pace he's doing it because he's not doing it in every single match so if he, he's still doing it sort of at the pace he's doing it but you don't have tai chi and fale in there it comes off a lot stronger and a lot more meaningful but because you have fale because you have tai chi and they're doing the same nonsense it's like all right jay white stuff doesn't stand out quite as much and it just looks watered down by that point and then it takes away from his actual wrestling ability which he has unlike tai chi and and fale yeah it's it's diminishing returns is the best way to put it and yes that's why the Giannis stuff sticks out because nobody else does Giannis act there's not another wrestler in new japan that does anything similar to him so his stuff sticks out it feels different and a lot of the time it's just a ton of fun Whereas this just feels like rinse, wash, and repeat for two or three guys. And like I said, unfortunately, two of the guys are in the same block. So again, it doesn't mean as much when Jay White does it when you've already seen Tai Chi do it. And Tai Chi doesn't do it as well, and it just comes off as annoying when he does it. Right. So, and we close up uh, night 14 of action. Main event, Naito defeated Shingo 27 minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, they had a war, and before this match, Naito said that he wanted Shingo, he wanted the very best Shingo, 
and he even went as far to say that he wanted the Shingo that would take Los and Gobernables away from him. And uh, Naito needs to shut his mouth because he got everything he got he wanted from Shingo here. This match ruled. Um, might be. It's definitely up there. As one of my my top matches, uh, obviously the Yano matches, but Osprey and, and Okada is up there. Moxley and Ishii, that was I was sort of the, the the leader in my clubhouse, and probably still is, just because it was something different and new and, and fresh. Not that Naito and Shingo isn't; it, it most certainly was. I, I probably will have to rewatch some of these matches just back to back to back to really pick which one I like the most, but. The, this match was was great. The the only issue, and it's a very minor issue, and they even did a a good job of of working around it and making me believe. But there was never any really doubt that Naito was losing or wasn't going to win this match. Like he he was always going to win this match, and so that took me out of it just a tad. But they still worked hard enough to where I was like, "Oh, Shingo could have won there. Oh, they might go to a draw because we're getting close to that time." Uh, but in the back of my mind, it was always Naito is going to win, and so that takes me out of it a little bit. Doesn't take anything away from just how great this match was, though. Yeah, and I had that feeling going in, and that was one of my fears of like the lack of drama, but. They did a great job, though, pulling the fans into it. It was great. And just like towards the end, they're starting to work into this home stretch, which was like out of this world. And they got me on one near fall because Shingo fucking took his soul with a pumping bomber at one point. Just destroyed this man. I saw yeah. Na- I saw Naito's fucking ether just like rise out of his body to the heavens after this move. And, uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, excellent match overall. Yeah, definitely one of the, the top-tier tournament matches for sure. Really enjoyed it. Again, Shingo delivering big time. Not the best win-loss record, but he's delivering. And uh, Naito really, really needed a upper-tier match. He had a great match with Ishii, but needed something a little more as he gets into this home stretch. And uh, this was the match for him. Yeah, uh, just... As I as I said earlier, like Shingo has been super impressive in this tournament, despite the win loss record, and and this will I don't know I don't know if this will be the peak. I'm not gonna doubt Shingo, but if this is the peak, like it's a great peak to have in this tournament, and it there's not a whole lot of valleys for him because he's he's been fantastic in this tournament. He's facing Ishii coming up, man. I cannot wait. Oh well. I don't know if it's going to top the Naito match, but uh, again, I'm not doubting Shingo and I'm definitely not doubting Ishii because both those guys are, are fucking awesome. So looking forward to that. Shingo, he, a real star making G1 for him coming off the best of Super Juniors. I hope that he'll probably stay in the junior division because New Japan is their heavyweight division is very crowded. And we, I mean, we've got to get this Osprey Shingo rematch, don't we? Oh yeah, I definitely want to see that. So, uh, B block as we stand right now. John Moxley in the lead at ten points. Big Tom right behind him with eight. Naito with eight. Goto with eight. Jay White with eight. Got Yano with six. Juice Robinson with six. Jeff Cobb with six. Tai Chi with six, and Shingo pulling up the rear with four. 
So it's going to be interesting heading into our final days, Jeremy. We've got a lot of good stuff on tap here still. And, uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoying the G1 so far. It's It's been great. I love the pacing of everything. The the nights off have been very helpful uh, for my, my binge watching because, unlike you, I am not getting up early in the morning to watch these shows, but I can watch two in, in one day and still have a, a day of rest. So I, I really like how, how this tournament has been laid out. And you look at this block, it looked like Moxley was running away with it. Now two losses and you got a guy, a couple of guys right there with him. I mean, I know he's got wins over Ishii and Naito, so he's kind of up on those guys, but Jay White has a win over him. So he's right there. It's still anybody's block at this point and i still think naito pulls this off yeah most likely i think that is the case and then uh yeah we got you got juice and moxley coming up on that last night for b block and that is likely going to be a big win for juice to get some revenge so we'll see what happens there but yeah a lot of i like the, the the b block booking has been a lot of fun uh just a lot of great stuff overall and uh Cannot wait for the uh, things to keep uh, keep heading on here as we are entering the home stretch, Jeremy. It's going to be a, a fun stretch. I mean, this weekend is going to be an absolute... I don't want to call it a terror because I will never complain about just having to watch wrestling for a living because it's, for the most part, very good and there's a lot of strong cards this weekend. But this weekend is going to just be nutso with all the, the great wrestling taking place in Japan and in Canada. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's not even... I mean, there's even shit that we're not covering because there's like progress shows and uh, OWE shows and all kind of shit going on this yeah this week. It's a stacked week for wrestling. There's a uh, a summit show, a women's summit show with like... Uh, all the women from like uh, Shimmer and Rise in a bunch of places and just all kind of shit going on. So if uh, if you're a wrestling fan, uh, you can find some wrestling this weekend, trust me. Not just on your computer or TV, there's a lot to watch. And uh, we will be covering as much of it as possible. Quick update on the uh, the schedule coming up. This podcast will be posted as we preview the three big uh, weekend events. Saturday night after TakeOver, we will be back and cover TakeOver and the ROH show from Friday night. And then uh, Monday evening, I believe, we will record and we will talk about SummerSlam and the G1 Final. So we will catch you up on all of that stuff. And then on the second half of this show, we're going to, uh, again, preview the ROH uh, Summer Supercard Show, NXT TakeOver Toronto 2, and SummerSlam 2019. And yes, we're continuing with episode 41 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. Uh, we're going to get into our SummerSlam weekend previews. As a reminder, you can follow the 411 on Wrestling Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Jeremy, we did our G1 catch-up, and now it's time to get into SummerSlam weekend. We start off with the ROH Super Summer Card 2019 Originally a joint event with CMLL and the NWA, but with the NWA relationship uh, ending with ROH, uh, there's no NWA involvement now. And it's, uh, you know, we lost some potential title matches, specifically the NWA title match with Nick Aldis and likely Marty Skrull. 
But we still have nine matches official for the show as of today. Yeah, I hope uh, Skrull comes out and just cuts a promo on Aldous and the end of the NWA and shoots on him instead of having a 15, 20-minute match with Aldous. We need we need a good, just a wrestling shoot promo in the middle of the ring. Remember when TNA would always do that when after WWE guys would leave? That's what we need from Skrull. I'd rather not. I wouldn't mind a promo from Marty. <laughs> he can cut a promo on someone, but yeah, I just... I, I kind of don't care. I mean, it's over. It, it sucks that it ended because I liked a lot of the stuff they were doing together. But, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, it, it is what it is. I like the partnership. We've talked about it on a previous podcast, but it was a good partnership. But now ROH can move forward selling out uh, 10% of the building on their own. There you go. So uh, we start off with a rematch from Mass Hysteria. Silas Young facing off with PJ Black. Silas won the last match, and uh, right now both guys are still kind of looking for a direction because Silas lost to Jonathan Gresham back at the pay-per-view. He seems to be in a little bit better of a position. PJ Black has still not been fully embraced by Lifeblood yet, so it will be interesting to see what happens with him. I think a potential turn back heel could be in order. One of the angles they've been running on TV is Silas Young basically trying to corrupt uh, young Josh Woods. You know, telling him that he could teach him a lot of things and he doesn't quite know all the ins and outs of the business yet. And I could see Silas potentially making a little stable of uh, heel miscreants to cause some trouble and go after the trios titles or something. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, their mat- last match was really short and it was solid. Hopefully they get a little bit more time because I think they have a good match. Both guys are good. Uh, probably makes the most sense, I think, for Silas to win. I don't watch ROH TV anymore because I have better things to do with an hour of my life. Um, Silas winning sounds fine to me if they seem to actually have a direction with him. PJ Black is just, he's there, he can have decent matches, but it doesn't feel like they've done anything with him since he's joined the company. Yeah, they kind of haven't. He's just kind of a dude for the most part that's filling a role, which, you know, they need body, so, I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, next up, uh, I think this was likely going to be the NWA tag title match because we have PCO and Brody King, I guess still technically the NWA tag team champions, facing off with Vinny Marsigli and TKO Ryan of the Kingdom. Your thoughts? They're going to throw the NWA tag titles in the trash on this show. Um, don't care about the Kingdom. I like PCO. I like Brody King. Just, just have them win because don't. No, with the kingdom, just no. See, uh, unfortunately for you, I think the kingdom is going to win here. They've been positioning them as of late on TV and a lot of event stuff as potential uh, tag title uh, challengers. And I think this match will be used as a setup to get someone closer to that. And even though PCO and Brody King obviously have had great matches with the Briscoes, I don't think they're going to want to jump back to that as quick. Because I really think that the Briscoes are going to end up facing Dragon Lee and Roosh at uh, the September pay-per-view because they had a killer TV match last week. And uh, if that's the case, I am all for that because I'm all for great pay-per-view matches. And then, you know, the Kingdom can challenge sometime later on. Not that I'm thrilled about it, but I think that is what's going to happen. So I will go with the Kingdom, but I would prefer PCO and Brody King to win. Sure. Dead. Just stop with the kingdom. At least don't put the tag titles on them, for the love of God. 
And it's time for me to butcher CMLL names now, and everybody can make fun <laughs> of me, but uh, the the lone CMLL match on the show right now. The one thing that annoys me in the advertising is they keep saying the stars of ROH, CMLL, and New Japan. It's like, there's no New Japan presence on this show. Um, uh, I think you're forgetting a very important uh, tag team that are on the show from New Japan. Oh, okay. The Gorillas of Destiny. That's it. The the good, bad, evil guy, Tama Tonga, the greatest gimmick in wrestling right now. That's right. So, anyway, we got Stuka Jr., Sobernaro Jr., and Caristico versus uh, Kevin Ario, the caveman, Templaro, and Hiroko. I, I think that that's probably the closest I'm going to get to it. Anyway, Sounds right to me. Anyway, I would probably open the show with this. Give it 12 to 15 minutes. Just fucking let the CMLO dudes do their thing. Give like a high-intensity, fast-paced opening match. For the lack of better terms, let them go out there, go wild, do dives, do flippies, get all their shit in. Give me all the lucha and just let them have fun and get the crowd into it. I would probably think the uh, Stuka Jr. team wins. He's been with, uh, done R-weight stuff before, but honestly, it's a coin flip. Yeah, I don't know anything about these teams or these these wrestlers. I'm not going to pretend to. I mean, I know of them. I've seen some of their stuff. I don't know what they're actually doing in CMLL and their pushes and stuff. I would imagine this match will probably be good. The crowd will probably be into it because they'll do a lot of cool high spots and stuff. And the uh, Caristico and Stuka Jr. team would seem like the likely winners to me. Yeah. So I mean, And again, it's, uh, it's, it's not rocket science, man. Just let them do their thing and... I mean, honestly, if you're going to put a CMLL trios match on the show, I mean, there's no need to overthink it. You know, it's it's perfect kind of opening match. Right. Uh, we move on to tag team action. Uh, Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham versus Bandito and Mark Haskins of Lifeblood. Uh, I like this one. Uh, Lifeblood has been... Uh, They've lacked in big wins, but over the last few weeks, they've uh, really they've been on the winning side, and they've been having some really great outings. Uh, Lethal failed to regain the ROH Championship in Manhattan Mayhem, and one thing they've been doing on TV is really pushing the attitude change with Jonathan Gresham, and uh, even uh, like shit-talking to Jay Lethal, because Jay Lethal is uh, taking umbrage with his uh, young charge's uh, new heelish ways, and Gresham has basically been like, I tried it the right way. It didn't get me anywhere. And where the hell did it get you? You're not the champion anymore. So uh, he's become very frustrated and adopted the if you can't beat him, join him mentality. And that's led to him picking up more wins and finding success. He and Lethal are a really good tag team. Lifeblood is, you know, for all the bad booking you want to talk about, they've been great. So this match should deliver. And Lifeblood's going to be challenging for the trios titles coming up here later this month. So I think they're going to pick up the win here. And we may see a full-on heel turn from Gresham on Lethal here. I'm not saying they gave away this match, but announcing that Lifeblood was going to challenge for the trios titles uh, at the upcoming television tapings, it would seem like... And Lifeblood, as you said, they, they've been doing better as of late, but they are still sort of a stable without a direction, especially with the juice just kind of abandoning them. Um, so I, I would say Lifeblood will, will win here to give them some momentum into the, the six-man title match. I like the idea of Gresham turning on Lethal because both guys... 
need some sort of, of freshness. Like their, their matches have been done plenty of times. They're they're always great because because both guys are really great wrestlers. Uh, but Gresham or Lethal, I, I would be fine with a Lethal turn as well. But it just feels like they've sort of run their course as baby faces, and so a, a heel turn would certainly freshen up one of them. Yeah, and I've really liked the Gresham turn. It's come off really well on TV as of late, and uh, he's honestly a, a a really good asshole in his delivery, which uh, I didn't quite expect. One of those guys that, like, kind of like when Sami Zayn turned heel, it's like, oh, he's such a great baby face. I don't know if he'll be a good heel. And then Sammy was just an amazing asshole, and it was like, yep, he's a good heel. So, uh, yeah, I, I like the Gresham heel turn. I think that's probably what we get here, but Lifeblood winning makes the most sense. We move on to a no-DQ match with Roosh and Dalton Castle. If you followed the product at all, this feud goes all the way back to the G1 Supercard where Roosh beat Castle in like 17 seconds. This led to Castle snapping, dropping the boys, and fully turning heel. He went on a quest for revenge and redemption. He beat Dragon Lee, which is Roosh's brother. And then they had a match at Mass Hysteria where Castle got intentionally disqualified to set this one up. Uh, the thing with Castle is, you know, he's still been battling the injuries, and he's looked a lot better, but he still doesn't feel 100%. But he's definitely looked a lot better, and the good news is the no-DQ stipulation should really cover any limitations he has and give them a lot of freedom to work with. Roosh has been great. He still has not been pinned or submitted in ROH. I don't think that should change here. I, I think that they should keep him undefeated, and honestly, I mean, for as much as I'm not a big fan of Matt Taven, the natural play is Roosh versus Matt Taven at some point for the title to play off of their history in CMLL. Um, unfortunately, I wouldn't be surprised if ROH gave Castle a win here to kind of even things up, but I think that would absolutely be the wrong call and that Roosh should win. Roosh should definitely win this match. Um, I'm with you that castle or that the the no dq stipulation should help out castle because the the heel turn has already helped uh just because he can wrestle a a different style um a little bit more more limited in in his work as opposed to a baby face um he can work more of a kind of down style as, as opposed to a baby face style so the no dq stipulation will help they could do some smoke and mirrors if they need to to, to help out castle but roosh they've really heated him up since um g1 supercard and even a little bit before that they don't need to essentially 50 50 book this even if it is a long match because you you really thought and i was on board with you that they were building towards roosh challenging for the title at best in the world and then they gave that match to jeff cobb with not a whole lot of heat or anything behind it and it, they they feel like they're building Roosh now to to final battle, and maybe it's too late by then. Maybe they do it at the September card, but they they've got something with Roosh, and they don't need to fuck it up by having Dalton Castle beat him here. Exactly. I, I just I think when something is working this well, and again you have that natural feud with Taven because of their history. I I just I see no reason to divert from that at all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Don't don't screw this up, ROH. You've screwed up a lot of things this year. Don't screw this one up. Yeah, just keep it simple. It's the best thing in the world. 
Uh, Women of Honor Championship, Kelly Klein defending against Tasha Steeles. Tasha Steeles was the surprise winner of a number one contenders match to earn this title shot. Uh, I thought it was going to be Angelina Love challenging here, but uh, Steeles is a fresh face. She has a lot of potential. She's a Damian Adams product who trained uh, Deonna Perrazzo, Karen Q, among other names. So she has a lot of potential, and I like her as a fresh face in here. The problem is, is that Kelly Klein is the current champion, and she's okay at best. She does very little in terms of having good or interesting matches. She does nothing that makes you really want to invest in her in any way. And she's the best of what's left because they lost Tennille, they lost Karen, they lost Deanna, they lost Madison Rain, and they haven't made shit for use of the stardom relationship. So it's like... It, it is what it is, unfortunately. So I don't expect much from a Kelly Klein match in general. Only that she retains here and probably defends next month against Angelina Love. In sticking with my tradition of not talking about women of honor until they give me a reason to talk about them, I will move on. Fair enough. But I know you're happy about the next match, Jeremy. The ROH TV champion, the best in the world, your boy Shane Taylor. Battling Very Tracy excited Williams. to talk Shane Taylor. The the great Shane Taylor, as you said, the best in the world, the the second best wrestler of all time behind Toro Yano. Shane Taylor is going to ruin Tracy Williams at this event. Yeah, uh, again, we we've talked about Shane Taylor a lot, and we it it sounds kind of jokingly, but no, I mean we really do like Shane Taylor, and he's had a really good 2019 overall. I feel he's really coming into his own as a performer. Uh, Williams, you know, part of lifeblood, and we've talked about they haven't had a lot of terms, a lot of success in terms of wins and losses in major matches. But again, they've been consistently really good to great in terms of delivering in the ring. Unfortunately for Williams here, though, I see the trend continuing of not winning the big match because, in my thinking, if Bandito wasn't going to take the title off of Shane Taylor, I don't see Tracy Williams doing it. Unless they're just trying to do it for shock value. But then again, I think that ruins the potential Shane Taylor-Jeff Cobb rematch you can do when Cobb comes back. So um, I think this one will deliver because Tracy Williams is really good. Shane Taylor's been great. And um, yeah, Shane Taylor retains. I would imagine Shane Taylor retains. I've enjoyed his television title run. And that was something I probably wouldn't have said a, a few months ago when they put the title on him but he he's been good and i want to see the jeff cobb rematch and because he did not pin jeff cobb in the the fatal four-way match uh it's a it's an easy rematch to book and again don't screw this up roh yeah again like we always say sometimes the simplest booking is not wrong it's not bad if you see some things coming sometimes if they make sense so uh keeping with the championship matches we have the return of Ladder War as the ROH Tag Team Champions. The Briscoes battle the Gorillas of Destiny. Uh, these teams have been linked since the G1 Supercard, where the Gorillas of Destiny won the ROH Tag Titles. The feud escalated quickly. The Gorillas kept retaining via shenanigans. And that led to a street fight at Manhattan Mayhem, where the Briscoes won back the titles. And the match was fucking great, Jeremy. I don't know if you've got a chance to see that one yet. It was easily the best Gorillas of Destiny match in forever and was the setup for this match. So following that street fight, which was great, I have high hopes for this one because these two teams have really good chemistry. 
They're willing to take a beating as well as dish one out. And so I think this has a chance to be great again. And honestly, this is the first Gorilla's a Destiny match in forever that I'm genuinely looking forward to. Uh, I expect the Briscoes to retain because I think that they're going to face Roosh and Dragon Lee next month. I would suspect the Briscoes retain because I think the Gorillas of Destiny probably aren't long for ROH throughout the fall and winter, especially with World Tag League uh, starting in the winter. Like they're they're not going to hang around there for too much longer. They they did their due diligence. They came to ROH. They boosted pretty much nothing, but. They did have the the great match with the Briscoes. I, I did see that. That was the the television tapings match um, where where they did the the title change. And yeah, that match ruled. I expect this match to rule honestly because the Briscoes are awesome. I, I've said it plenty of times. I love the Briscoes. I think they are one of, if not the most underrated tag team of all time because everyone wants to talk about the Bucks and the Usos and the Revivals and the the Lucha Bros and all these teams are great, but the Briscoes have been doing it consistently for fucking like two decades now like they're awesome the girls of destiny i like their gimmick they're, as wrestlers they're not great but in a brawl kind of style like this and a ladder war like they can certainly shine so i think this match will be great and i yeah i expect the Bristo, briscoes to retain yeah and like i said i'm honestly for the first time and i can't tell you how long i'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to a gorillas of destiny match so, I mean, yeah, that street fight was great. And like I said, they're, they're willing to take an ass kicking and dish one out. So, yeah, this, uh, they're going to have all the toys. They're going to have all the advantages, all the smoke and mirrors. And, uh, yeah, and the, the, I mean, seriously, when was the last time the Briscoes didn't deliver? Exactly. They, I mean, they, are, they are very consistent. Put some respect on the Briscoes' name. Yeah. And it's funny because I know some people, we, you said it before about them being almost underrated. And some people were like, well, they're great. Everybody says they're great. It's like, yeah, people say they're great. But when everybody wants to talk about the best tag teams, kind of like you said, it's always like the Bucks. And then like the WWE like defenders want to come out and go, well, don't forget the Usos. And don't forget the Revival. And then other people are like, well, don't forget about the Lucha Bros. And honestly, all great tag teams. But then again, you know, you need to look around. There's more great tag teams because it's like, you know, like the fucking Undisputed Era, Fish and O'Reilly are great. Uh, the British Strong Style are great. I mean, there's tons of great tag teams. But yeah, it's like the Briscoes almost get a little lost. And I just think that's because of the dropped profile in ROH, unfortunately. But yeah, they are fucking great. Uh, they always deliver. So definitely looking forward to this one. Probably, if I had to throw it out there and guess, probably the best match on the show if I had to guess. Um, but I could be wrong. We'll see a nine match card, but I, th that's good. That's the leader in the clubhouse in the early pickums. I would, I would go with that as well. There are some good matches like Russian castle could be good. Uh, Gresham lethal against lifeblood could be good. And Shane Taylor, Tracy Williams could be good. They, Everything else doesn't really approach anything that feels like it's going to be, all right, this can be great. Uh, this match, give, given the time, given the history, given the feud, like this match feels like it can definitely approach being great. And and the backstory obviously plays a, a big part into this because ROH matches, a lot of them don't feel all that hot. And we'll kind of talk about that in the main event. But th this match is definitely hot. Correct. So the main event of the evening is ROH champion Matt Taven defending against the returning Alex Shelley. 
Uh, Matt Taven has been champion since the G1 Supercard. He's largely, as far as in the ring, had a good run as champion so far. But he just has no buzz with the belt. Is kind of the big problem. I think that's what you were alluding to. So, um, it's... I I think his in-ring has been really good. They've done a good job of limiting uh, the kingdom interference and taking that out of the equation. And I've liked that. Alex Shelley made his return and basically just cut a promo and saying he was going to play his veteran card to gain a championship match, and they gave it to him. Uh, Alex Shelley's a guy I feel that should have had a lot more success in wrestling, but a combination of poor booking at, at times and horrible timing with injuries completely derailed him on several occasions. He's an innovator and a guy that's had to sit back and watch others almost get credit for shit he came up with, and then they find success with it. So a lot of people don't realize that they're like ripping Alex Shelley shit. So his return is a welcomed one. He's a fresh face to the title scene. And um, it's like on one hand, Taven losing makes absolutely no sense here. Especially if they're going to build up to a potential match with him and Roosh. But then again, you can make the argument, you can go with the feel-good title win and something to create a bit of a newsworthy buzz maybe with Shelley getting the title. And then you could just change it back in September at the pay-per-view. So, I mean, I may be completely wrong, and they're probably just going to stick with Matt Taven, but I think Alex Shelley actually has a decent chance of winning here, Jeremy. I First off, I love Alex Shelley. He was one of my favorite guys in TNA um, when I would do a quick anecdote. When I would do this like writing TNA story, um, the e-booking nonsense like i pushed alex shelley to the moon because i think i think he's great on promos uh, i think he's very good in the ring like he, he has a understated charisma i've actually been re-watching the uh remember kevin nash did the x division shit oh, top and, productions man yeah yeah like that stuff was so good and alex shelley like we know kevin nash is very entertaining and, and has a quick wit about him and shelley was like right there with him word for word so i'm a big fan of alex shelley i'm with you that this guy should have done so much more in wrestling, but bad booking in TNA, injuries, which you can't really help, uh, kind of cost him and, and derailed him in a big way. I'm glad to see him get this match. I would be perfectly fine with him winning this match because, I, as I said, I'm a big fan of Alex Shelley and ROH needs something in putting the title on Alex Shelley. I don't know if that's going to boost everything, but it's better than Matt Taven. Uh, I don't think he's going to to win this match. It is a cold match. Uh, as you said, he came out and was like, I'm a veteran, give me my title shot. And it's like, all right, sure, we're not really doing anything else, so you can have a title shot. They're all in on Taven, at least until, I would suspect, until the end of the year, but maybe they extend it. And th- that's just what it is. And now he can have you know a win over a a ROH legend like Alex Shelley. And I I think that's where they go. I think the match will be fine, but Shelley is like, he's a little long in the tooth and the injuries certainly have slowed him down over the years. Taven, Taven, as far as in ring has been good during this run. Like he's had good matches. He just as a character and obviously from a business standpoint, isn't doing shit. Yeah, and obviously very unfortunate overall for the product. But that is the ROH uh, Summer Supercard preview. I will have live coverage of the show on Friday night, as you would expect. And uh, we will be talking about that show along with TakeOver in a review format on Saturday night. 
So we are going to now move on to NXT TakeOver Toronto 2, Jeremy. And uh, we have a full card here. We actually have a six-match TakeOver card. Yeah, this is a big TakeOver card. So we start off with Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae. Uh, this honestly goes back to when Carrie Zane lost her final match to Shayna Baszler, which uh, lost any chance she had to challenge for the NXT Championship ever again, and that led to her main roster promotion. That sort of left Io alone, looking to get revenge for her friend. She made an ally in Candice, and unfortunately, though, Io also failed in beating Shayna Baszler. That led to her snapping, turning, and attacking Candice, and that's why we're here. The match is notable and important for a couple reasons. Number one, it's a rare sixth match on a TakeOver special. They're usually locked into five, and it's a great format. I don't think it's anything wrong with going to six every once in a while when you have the opportunity to. But the other thing is it's it's also a rare second women's match on a TakeOver, which we haven't had in forever. And part of that is because is we haven't had a feud that was worthy enough to get on it or had competitors that you could feel would deliver. So here you obviously have Io Shirai, who for years was voted wrestler of the year, women's wrestler of the year in Japan. Candice is great. I I don't think the, the match could be in any better hands to have a second women's match on the show. So I think this would definitely deliver. Um, I think overall EO should win because I think Mia Yim is winning the championship and then you have EO positioned as a heel challenger likely coming at Survivor Series weekend. So I'm going EO Shirai here. I love the turn by EO. It certainly freshened her up, gave her a new dimension. It got Candice involved actually in NXT storylines outside of hey, here's Johnny Gargano's wife. Like She's actually a, a storyline that she can really sink her teeth into, and that's been uh, big, big for her. So I, I'm a big fan of this feud, big fan of, of both ladies, and glad to see they, they do have this second women's match on TakeOver because, you know, this is a seven-minute. Are you still there? Yeah. Okay, I something went off on my headphones, sorry. Um, because this is, you know, seemingly a big takeover with uh, being SummerSlam weekend. I guess they're probably going to go longer than two and a half hours. I hope that isn't a trend because I, I like the two and a half hour format. But it's takeover. It's always going to deliver. It doesn't seem to matter at this point. And the, this card is really strong. As far as this match goes, I'm of two minds. I, I'm with you that... E- if he, I feel like the winner of this match almost gives away the winner of the NXT Women's Titles match because if Io wins, then Mia Yim winning, and then you can do the the heel face feud, and like that makes sense. But if Candice wins, Candice probably not facing Yim, and seems more likely to end the lengthy reign of of Shayna Baszler. So this match could give that away potentially. It could just be making shit up. I think EO does win because it feels a little too early to, to beat her after this this heel turn. And the Candice, she, even though I don't want to say she's Johnny Gargano's husband, she is linked forever to Gargano. She can play that sort of baby face who doesn't need to win but still has great matches and still is over because she is very good at working from underneath and garnering that sympathy. 
Completely agreed. So, it'll, yeah, definitely will be interesting. And I think, yeah, depending on the layout of the show, because it's probably early and before the uh, women's title match, like you said, it probably does kind of give away the winner of that. But, again, not a horrible thing if everything makes sense. So we're going to go next up is the finals of the NXT Breakout Tournament. Jordan Miles versus Cameron Grimes. I think the tournament was a fun little concept. It was a good way to bring in and introduce a bunch of the new NXT talents that hadn't made TV yet. It got them on TV. It gave them something to fight for, which is more important than anything, instead of just random matches. And now it culminates here at TakeOver as the former ACH and Trevor Lee do battle. And uh, the winner gets a title shot of their choosing. So I think both performed well in the tournament. Uh, The finals definitely have a ton of potential to deliver just based off of their histories outside of NXT and what they've done. Uh, again, TakeOver, the, you, normally everybody gets time and freedom, and if that's the case, there's no reason this shouldn't deliver. I think you can make an argument for either guy to win, but I'm going with uh, Jordan Miles. I I really like the addition of the breakout tournament because it did like, they, they went on an indie signing spree uh, early in the year and brought in just a lot of different guys like ACH, like Trevor Lee, uh, like Shane Strickland and um, Jonah Rock and all these guys. And it's like, okay, how are you going to bring them on the TV? It's like, well, we'll just do this tournament where we can just put them all on TV at once and then just introduce them. So I love this concept. The, this final is, is fine with me. I think that Jordan Miles is the correct call here. And I don't know which title he's going to end up challenging for, but I, I think he's the he's going to end up winning this match. And it should be a, a good match. It'll probably get a little shortchanged on time just because of all the other stuff that they have on this card. But it should still be good for the if they even work like an eight, nine-minute sprint. Yeah, and again, that might not be the worst thing because sometimes it's – like we talked about in the G1, sometimes those, you know, 13 to 17 minute matches are just as, if not more enjoyable than the longer matches, a little more sense of urgency, brisker pace, uh, and just various things. Plus it's again, not every match has to be 18 to 20 minutes. So yeah, I mean, again, if it, as long as it's good and they deliver and crowds into it, that's all that matters to me. Uh, if it's eight minutes, if it's 15, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as it delivers. So, yeah, but I think you're right. If, if there's a match, this and the, uh, the EO and Candice match are your candidates to not get a ton of time. But again, if the work is good and everything makes sense, I'm fine with it. And I think the, the work should be good in both matches because I mean, for, for Candice, it's their first big takeover match for for Miles and Grimes. It's their first big takeover match. Like they know at this point what takeover is and what it means. Like they're gonna go out there whether they're given eight minutes or eighteen minutes. They're gonna go out there and, and bust their ass. So I I think and they're gonna get all their stuff in and be like, hey, remember that eight minute match between Jordan Miles and Cameron Grimes? Like may not have had the most promotion on the show, but fuck, that's an easy watch and a and a fun watch. So I expect this to be good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next up, we will go to the NXT Women's Championship match. Champion Shayna Baszler defending against Mia Yim. The The trend throughout 2019 is there's been a lot of viable challengers to Baszler. And a lot of viable people that could have won the title. But every time she steps in the ring and every time we think she's losing the title, Shayna Baszler retains. Because in NXT, basically the only thing that's for sure are death taxes and Shayna Baszler winning a takeover. Uh, there's a group of fans that feel that she's really hurt the division and has been a bad champion. 
and many want her to see the championship. I don't think she's been a bad champion. I think the division has been a little stifled with the long run because they've kind of they burned through a lot of challengers to a point, and then it's like, when is it going to happen? But then again, it, I see nothing wrong with a dominant champion as long as it pays off with a good culmination at the end. Um, my feeling is that with Paul Heyman in charge of Raw, that he's gonna want um, he's gonna want Shayna Baszler on the brand to feud with Becky because he doesn't have Ronda Rousey anymore. And if we're being honest, and again, it's not that she's old, but Shayna Baszler is 38. She has a lot of mileage on her from her MMA career. And if they want to get a few good years out of her on the main roster, you need to pull the trigger now. Again, Heyman doesn't have Rousey. He wants to create another badass. And you can do that with Shayna. So I think the move to uh, Yim as the uh, new champion makes sense here. It frees Shayna up to get moved up. And uh, like I said, I think... uh, that leads to EO versus Mia at a Survivor Series weekend. I think definitely that Mia probably wins here. And I said definitely and probably. <laughs> I think I think Mia wins here. I like your your theory that Shayna is main roster bound because of the the Heyman kind of tie in there and and Shayna's age. Like she doesn't have I mean, she's only 38 in wrestling terms. She probably has like another good five years left in her. I I don't I, I get the complaints with Baszler's title run. I don't agree with them because I I'm a person who likes long title runs. I'm a person who likes dominant champions. So and, and Baszler puts on a great match every single time. She like her character is what Ronda Rousey should have been for the majority of her main roster run, and what R- Rousey finally turned in and like the final month but they still wasted a year of like happy smiling ronda rousey uh i i'm a i'm a fan of Shayna baszler and this match i'm more cold on mia yim because she doesn't really like do it for me as a challenger she it just feels like she's sort of there and hasn't been built up the strongest and which is weird because she's the one who might go over when they certainly built up like bianca or Kyrie or Io like stronger than Mia. Uh, but I I think I think Mia will win and then the the feud with Io uh, certainly makes a lot of sense. And Shayna Shayna going up to the main roster makes a lot of sense because uh Becky needs some a challenger and Shayna would certainly be a good challenger. I don't need to see Becky feuding with Natalia's and Lacey Evans anymore. Definitely, definitely don't need any more of that. Uh, we stick with the uh, championship matches here. Uh, the uh, NXT North American champion, the Velveteen Dream versus Pete Dunne versus Roderick Strong, Jeremy. Uh, this one, you just, I look at it, it has Banger written all over it. Dream Ollie always has really good takeover matches. Pete Dunne is obviously excellent. And Strong has been one of the more consistent top-tier in-ring performers for probably the last 10 years. I, I really like the unexpected Pete Dunne return um, and inclusion in the feud because it plays off of his history with Roderick Strong in NXT. Uh, and the other thing, too, is like oftentimes adding a third um, third person to a match or a feud takes away from it. But number one, it makes sense because of the, with the history with Strong. And number two, it's Pete fucking Dunne. He delivers. So you have Dream's going to bring all the drama and character work. Pete Dunne is going to bring the uh, ruthless intensity, and Roderick Strong was just 
the best pure fucking wrestler in the match and all together. So I think this is going to be really, really great. They're probably going to get a lot of time. Uh, I think we're getting the Undisputed Era clean sweep on the show. So Roderick Strong wins. Uh, probably transitions to a feud with maybe Pete Dunne. And I also see this as part of the uh, setup for War Games. Because I could see Undisputed Era facing some combination of Dream, Gargano, Dunn, and or the Street Profits. Depending on who gets moved up and uh, who stays. So I'm going to go Roderick Strong here with a potential early setup for War Games. I like your idea of a Undisputed Era clean sweep. I'm not quite sold on that, as I'll get into when I make my prediction. I'm really looking forward to this match, though. Love Velveteen Dream even more than his wrestling. I love his like his character work is is second to none and on the entire WWE roster and really just in wrestling as well. I, I look forward to his entrances every single time at the takeover events. This one should be great because he's in Canada um, and I'm, he maybe has some Toronto Raptors or Drake meme or something up his sleeve. They come out should as the be, Mountie. There, there you go. He could come out as the Mountie. I, Velveteen Dream, love him. Roderick Strong, as you said, one of the more underrated performers in the last decade. He delivers every single time. Always a fan of, of Strong when he was the messiah of the backbreaker, and I guess he still is, but I, I love just his different variations of the backbreaker, and he he always de- delivers. And I'm always up for adding Pete Dunne to anything because we, we've talked about it before. Because he doesn't wrestle all, like a lot of the live events and he doesn't wrestle on TV all the time. Like You look at his match to like banger ratio, it's always great because he's just always in big matches and he always delivers. So I, I'm looking forward to this match. I hope it doesn't get too WWE-style triple threat. And you know what I'm talking about where... One guy just lays outside of the ring the whole time. I think in NXT, they're a little bit more... Uh, they don't do that quite as much. They, they seem to have a little bit... They break away from, from that style a little bit more. I think Pete Dunne wins this match. I don't have a good reason other than I want Pete Dunne to win this match. Fair enough, man. And I wouldn't argue with Pete Dunne winning because he's great. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're going to get the, the clean sweep. But I, I can see the case for Dunne and... Uh, We'll see what happens, but I think we definitely agree that it's going to be great. For sure. So uh, next up, NXT Tag Team Champions, the Street Profits, facing off with Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish. Prior to the tag title win, the Street Profits were kind of off NXT TV for a while, but they were putting in time and Evolve, which I've said before, I think really helped them grow uh, as performers overall. They returned, they made it back into the ranks, got, got to the top, won the tag titles, the win got over really big. It felt like a big moment for them. and um, But the thing is, is I, I just I feel their time as champions are short because, you know, they may stick around through November, but the thing is, is they've been on Raw doing their kind of little wacky backstage stuff. Heyman is reportedly a really big fan of theirs, so it seems like the call-up is basically inevitable, and it could happen as soon as after this show. Uh, Fish and O'Reilly are one of the best tag teams in wrestling, so... You put the titles on them, you're just guaranteeing consistently great matches with them. Top tier stuff, and I just, um, they're great. And they never disappointed a takeover. They always deliver. And they basically wrestle, like, every takeover match of theirs feels like it's their last main event ever. And they're never in the main event. Unless it's like war games. 
So I think we get the Undisputed Era clean sweep. And again, potential uh, setup for war games, depending on who is sticking around. But I'm going to go Undisputed Era. That should be fantastic. This will be the almost true coming out party for the Street Profits. Not that they didn't deliver in the the ladder match because they they most certainly did, but that is a ladder match. It's easier, and and with the athleticism that that both men have, especially uh, Montez Ford, uh, you can. It's easy to. It's easy to mask a lot of things in a match like that. But as you said, they improved a lot and evolve, and they're getting to work with O'Reilly and Fish, who are just fucking awesome. This is going to be like this match will show that the Street Profits are just really good tag team wrestlers. I don't know. I, I think Undisputed Era ends up winning, but I the whole Street Profits showing up on Raw and just like cutting promos with the NXT tag team titles around their waist or shoulder is is very weird to me. It makes me think they they will be called up uh, after if they lose this match. But then apparently the the rumor the report is that they like the Street Profits just hanging out backstage and promoting NXT by holding the titles. So I can I guess see that argument as well. I I don't know which way to go in this match because of the the, the weird like are they or are they not on the main roster type of thing but I, i'm leaning towards undisputed era fair enough yeah and it's the street Profits thing is so weird it's just like they're just like hanging out on raw and talking they couldn't have shit. they couldn't have the viking raiders hang out on raw backstage with the nxt titles instead of just dropping them of course not jeremy <laughs> why would you do Viking Raiders could be cutting promos with Kurt Angle. Yeah, chewing on like a <laughs> fucking like giant Turkey ostrich leg. drumsticks or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Drinking grog, I don't know, something. But yeah, it's, <laughs> who the hell knows? The, the main roster thinking is just so weird. It's it's very strange. So, And the main event of the show is NXT champion Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano. Best two out of three falls match. These two have already had two excellent matches this year. They have the chance for the hat trick, and this is a variations on the three stages of hell match as each man got to pick a stipulation. Gargano picked a street fight, something he said he knows very well, while Cole picked just a wrestling match because when he wins, he wants Gargano to be no longer able to call himself Johnny Wrestling. And then if we need the third fall, which of course we will, William Regal will select that stipulation, which at the time of this recording is a mystery. What do you think the third fall is going to be? I'm not sure, but I think there's a chance it could be loser leaves NXT. Ooh, that I like that. I, I would not have thought of that. I was thinking of just like an actual like gimmick type match instead of a <coughs> excuse me, instead of like a, a stipulation. Uh, I, I like a, a loser leaves NXT thing, but. I don't know if I'm ready for Gargano on the main roster. Although, if he goes to Raw, Heyman clearly has influence there, and I trust that a little bit more. I don't think Adam Cole is is going up to the main roster unless Undisputed Air is going with him. Uh, I was leaning towards... I hope they don't do Last Man Standing because they've, they've done that. If they do a cage, obviously that would be kind of given away uh, immediately unless they... 
even if they keep it out of the shot, someone's going to tweet it out like, hey, there's a cage up top there. Uh, ladder, they, they they could potentially do. I don't know if they, they will. Ladder would, would be my my pick, though, if I, if I had to lean one way. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. Again, I'm just shooting in the dark. I have no clue what it's going to be. I'm just kind of guessing on it. But um, it'll be interesting to see what it is. Um, I'm expecting another excellent match from these two. They work very well together. They're two guys that never disappoint ever on a uh, takeover special. Um, I think that Adam Cole is going to retain. Uh, Undisputed Era is going to walk out with all the gold. We're going to set up for war games and... This could possibly be Gargano's exit from the NXT brand. I'm not 100% sure on that, but um, it could be, and uh, that would leave Undisputed Era to reign supreme until a certain bald son of a bitch comes back for his precious Goldie, Jeremy. The return of Ciampa is going to be fucking awesome. I, I like your idea of Undisputed Era taking all the gold. I am not quite... Soul, I mean, I'm sold on it as an idea. I, I think Pete Dunne wins the North American title, mainly because I just like Pete Dunne. And I am torn on the tag team title match. But I always like factions of four, like holding all the gold and kind of running roughshod over the the entire company. And then you have the the big baby face who, you know, slowly picks them off and, and things like that. It, it's a very, it's a it's an easy story to book, especially when you have a strong stable and Undisputed Era is, is certainly a very strong stable. So I, I'm, I'm all for that idea. Gargano leaving NXT makes sense because what does he have left to do after this? But if Ciampa's coming back, you know, they kind of drop their feud and they're, they're best friends again. So Ciampa coming back and, you know, Gargano maybe doing a, a self-doubt thing and Ciampa getting him fired up again could could certainly work. A lot of directions to go if Ciampa is, is due back soon. And obviously we don't know when he's due back. But they released what's, what's weird. And I don't know if this has anything to do with anything. So WWE was doing like... The, this chronicle of, of Ciampa with his his injury, you know, because he got called up to the main roster. He was set to face Gargano at TakeOver WrestleMania, and then it didn't happen. And they released, like, part one and part two within, like, weeks of each other right after WrestleMania. They might have even released one before WrestleMania, and they didn't release part four until today, uh, Tuesday. And the timing of that is a little suspect to me of like, all right, why like you're showing stuff from WrestleMania, a, a story we kind of already know, like they, they didn't really add anything new to the story. Why are you doing that right now? What are you preparing us for? All I'm saying is if the graphic goes up, you know, registered rights, trademark WWE, and then we see Tommaso Ciampa, don't be too shocked. Yeah, definitely, and that, that's what I was going to bring up. It's like I, I was getting that feeling because of that and just various stuff he's tweeted and just the, the overall feeling with the possible Gargano exit. So uh, we'll see what happens. Definitely some interesting possibilities, but that is the, the NXT TakeOver Toronto 2 card. 4-on-1 will, of course, have live coverage of the show Saturday night, and uh, we'll be back late Saturday night to talk about the show. And so that leads us to the main event of the whole shebang here, uh, Jeremy. SummerSlam 2019. And the best thing about SummerSlam 2019 is they smartly decided to take two matches off of this show during the week on TV. 
which was the women's tag title match, which they ran on Raw and did a title change. And then they ran Sami Zayn and Aleister Black on SmackDown tonight. So, yeah, that, so uh, instead of a 13-match card, it's an 11-match card. Yeah, so they uh, they pare some stuff down, which is good because I don't need like a nine-hour show. Because uh, I think, that, again, the longer the shows get, I think you just it's a diminishing returns thing because there may be some great stuff here and there on the shows, but when it just keeps going long and it feels like forever and then you have some bad stuff in there and this is... By the time you get to the end, it's just like, yeah, that was a, that was a really long show, and you kind of forget like the good stuff by the end. So we will start off with uh, the match that was made official Monday night. Jeremy, Bill Goldberg versus Dollar Tree Shawn Michaels. <laughs> I, I tweeted this today. This is, is setting up for. Dolph Ziggler just going all Michaels Hogan at SummerSlam and and bumping all over the place because that's basically the gimmick he's done leading up to this whole match is just you know I'm gonna do impressions I'm gonna talk about how I'm I'm full time and you know these legends are coming back I'm gonna take shots at these legends I would imagine Goldberg squashes him in like 30 seconds that's probably what it should be I. It's a good like it's a good angle. It's one of those things where I don't care about Dolph. I, I, I don't care about Goldberg in 2019. I think this would be a great angle if you do this with an actual like young guy with upside and then he beats Goldberg, but but that's not gonna happen. Like a Dolph win over Goldberg doesn't mean anything. A Goldberg win is whatever, just a, a feel-good moment. It's it is what it is. Goldberg will it should it should be quick, honestly. If it goes longer than like three minutes, then uh, I don't know. It should be a quick match. Yeah, it should be. I hope Goldberg, Goldberg's Dolph back to the comedy circuit. Um, this is going to be uh, Goldberg's big redemption for the uh, horrible taker match at Sweet Saudi Money 3 where he got concussed and then they almost killed each other like eight times. So, uh, yeah, come in, squash Dolph, get a paycheck, go home, Bill. It's all we need. Yep. And I'm fine with that. Uh, the next match we're going to talk about is not official at this time unless it happened while we started recording, but... uh. Drew McIntyre versus Cedric Alexander is supposed to be added to the show. Um, yeah, it hasn't it hasn't been added since we've started recording. Should be a good match. I, I'm torn on this because I would like Cedric to win and actually, you know, get some shine on on the main roster. But I've also been pushing for them to to actually pull the trigger on Drew McIntyre and give him meaningful wins and make him look like a badass. So it's one of those where. Either way, I will be satisfied yet disappointed. Yeah, I think Drew wins because he, he needs a pay-per-view win badly. And this they have to start doing something with him because it's just he feels like such a waste. It, it kept does, feeling like they're going to do something with him, and then they never do. So, uh, on SmackDown, it was revealed that... Uh, Apparently, Daniel Bryan slash Rowan were the men trying to kill Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns found this out by beating the shit out of Buddy Murphy. And uh, then the end of um, the end of SmackDown was Daniel Bryan and Rowan just standing there in the ring. <laughs> so I'm assuming we're getting Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan, or I guess maybe Rowan. Who the hell knows? But uh, I oh, think one... One rumor is Roman and Joe against uh, Rowan and, and Brian. 
Yeah, that, that could be true. We'll see uh, whatever gets made official. But if it's Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan, I've talked a lot about Roman Reigns this year and the various missteps I think they've made with him. He's had, like, just a string of okay to good, okay to, like, solid matches, maybe good here and there, but he's just, he's lacked a great match and a reason to really care about him. So if he's facing Daniel Bryan, he'll definitely have a chance to have a great match because he and Bryan work really well together. If it's one-on-one, Roman should really win because they need to get him back on track and try to get something to make people care about him that doesn't involve uh, potential murder (laughs) and really hokey angles that look like shit. Come on, the forklift driver was ill, and then he was a temp. (laughs) Yeah. The way they tried to explain that one. So, but if it's Rome, if it's Roman and Brian, uh, Roman should win. If it's Roman and Joe versus Brian and Rowan, Roman and uh, Joe should win. Because God knows Joe needs a pay per view win too. I I like the idea of the tag match better, just because I I'm all for Roman against Brian. It's it's got to have a little bit more build to this than me, especially the way SmackDown went off the air. Like it doesn't feel like, hey, you have Roman and Brian. That that was the big build to it. Is I mean, almost literally nothing. Like it was an accusation by by Buddy Murphy, and now we're just getting Roman and Brian. Like I want to see Roman and Brian as like Brian being the the final boss in, in this thing after he sends you know Rowan after him. They, if they do the tag match, which I think they should do, maybe Joe turns on. I, I don't know if it's even a turn, but but Joe attacks Roman and you know he aligns himself with Brian. Although I think they're on separate brand. I can't keep track of who is on what fucking brand anymore. I think Joe is on Raw, uh, but it doesn't seem to matter at this point. Like like that could be a thing as well. Like. like uh, Brian paid off Joe or got Joe on his side somehow. They got a long history. You you can make sense out of it. I the, the tag match is the the better idea to me, and I think if you're gonna team Rowan, Roman and, and Joe, Brian and Rowan should actually win that tag match. Even if they pin Joe, which I hate sacrificing Joe, but at this point he is who he is on the card, and and Brian and Rowan are you know they're former tag team champions and i i'm a big proponent of actual teams should beat makeshift teams every single time fair point i'll definitely give you that and i I would not be opposed to the tag match at all it'll be interesting to see if and when they make the match official here which would be really helpful to me so i could finish my fucking written preview (laughs) so um uh, anyway we'll move on to a title match here cruiserweight champion drew gulak versus oni lorkin If you've read my 205 Live reviews, I've been asking for this match for a long time. Uh, Gulak is great as champion. I love him with the title right now. Uh, Oni has been great, and he always delivers when given a chance. They have a history working together on the indies, and if given the time, which is obviously going to be the big key here, I think they will definitely deliver. Uh, But again, it's... um, They have to get time. You know, you can't just do like eight minutes. Give these guys some time, and... If they do, I, I I don't think anybody will regret that. I think it's too soon for Gulak to uh, lose the title because I think there's a there's a lot of meat on the bone with the Drew Gulak title win to me still. So uh, if they get the time and have a great match, I have no problem with Gulak retaining here, and that's what I think will happen. 
I'm with you on Gulak retaining. I two hundred five live seems to do the longer title reigns, and I know they didn't quite do that with Nice, but for the most part, their history says they they do the longer title reigns, and Gulak still has a lot of legs as the champion. I hope this is on the pre-show because that seems to be, and I know people will be like, well, why are you putting it on the pre-show? Look, these Cruiserweight title matches bang on the pre-show, and then they put one on the main card, and granted, it was Davari, and it shouldn't have been Davari, and it wasn't good because you're just more pressed for time on the main card. The Cruiserweight, or the, the pre-show, you're not as pressed for time because you have two hours and you know they can cut down a talking segment easier. They they can cut down a uh, a main event match, a Brock Lesnar or Seth Rollins or a Roman Reigns match. So it's easier for them to get time on the pre-show. I don't think there's anything wrong with with being on the pre-show because you're getting a better match that way. Yeah, and again, I'm all for it too as long as they they're getting the time to deliver. And I'd rather, you know, it it kind of sucks when they're always relegated to the pre-show. But again, it's like. I'd rather the match be really good and get the time to deliver, and I'll accept that. I have no problem with that. So uh, we'll stick with another title match here. We have um, U.S. champion AJ Styles battling Rick O'Shea. Uh, I've really enjoyed a lot of the interactions these two have had. I thought their Extreme Rules match was really good, but I think they're capable of a lot better. Um, A little too much shenanigans there and stuff for me, but... um, Anyway, I think all I think we agree. AJ is just he's an all time great. Ricochet is a special talent with still a lot of room to grow, and he can flat out go. Period. So that's the important thing. I think they're going to get the time because it's AJ involved, and if they have that time to work the right kind of match at a better pace than last ma- uh, month, and they limit the shenanigans, uh, potentially great match for sure. So hopefully we don't get a lot of shenanigans. Or that maybe Ricochet at least has some backup like the Usos to counteract the Good Brothers. Uh, and if they everything comes together here again, I think um, think potentially great match. But um, I don't think AJ losing the title already back to him is the right call. Because it feels like the OC is just really getting rolling with the, uh, the, uh, the Good Brothers just winning the tag titles. And I'd like to see them establish a little more dominance before dropping those. I would say that AJ wins definitely because it's too early to take the title off of him, especially with the the uh, OC Good Brothers, whatever, having the the tag team titles. As I as I said previously, I like dominant stables that have gold, and they're they're definitely trying to establish the OC as a dominant stable, unless uh, legends like DX slash NWA uh, NWO are involved. Match should be great. I hope they get the time. I, I'm sure they will get the time because their Extreme Rules match was very good. I'm with you that they can probably do better it is a match we i feel like we've we've seen done to death but i'm i'm all for it because it involves aj styles and and ricochet i i i just hope they get the time in this one because we we know they can have a potential classic match and like aj almost always delivers ricochet almost always delivers we we know they've got the chemistry down and everything just give them enough time to to go out there and really have that classic that we're that we're all clamoring for Completely agreed. Next up, Charlotte versus Trish Stratus. And this is a match that if you pay attention to Impact at all, 
very much mirrors the Tessa Blanchard Gail Kim um, match in that it's a perceived best of this generation versus the perceived best of the previous generation. But the thing is to me is the build for Charlotte and Trish has just been kind of trash and completely pales in comparison to the Tessa Gail Kim feud. It's very, it's very thrown together. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say. It's just, it's thrown together. It feels very last minute. Honestly, this is something they, if you were going to do this match, this is honestly the kind of thing you should have announced at Raw Reunion when you had the biggest audience in a long time. Yeah, it, you know, Charlotte came out and was like, I'm going to have a bigger match than Becky. And then it's like, all right, Trish is here. And then they've done it on like two weeks build. And, and sure, Raw Reunion would have been a, a much better spot for, for this announcement. But for some reason, they didn't do it. It's thrown together. I don't hate the match. It should be good. Charlotte's awesome. Trish proved that she can still go. And I mean, when you're working with somebody like Charlotte, uh, as long as you're competent in the ring and, and can move, like I think Trish can can still move, then it should be a fine match. Charlotte most likely wins because why would you put Trish over in this instance? I, I would have preferred, honestly, like Becky against Trish. This just feels like let's do something cool for Charlotte because she's Charlotte. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, Trish is obviously still in really good shape. She looked good at Evolution last year, but again, that was a tag match. So the curiosity is, can she still bring it in a long-form singles match? Can she capture Magic one last time? And that's what we're going to find out. And I, I hope it's really good. I think it has a chance to be really good, but... um. Again, if I'm being honest, it, it, it kind of feels like a kind of feels like a, a second class Gale and Tessa. See, I never I never drew that that comparison, and I don't know how many people will, because um, especially from the WWE audience, they're probably not watching Impact, even though Gale and Tessa is one of the best things they they've done all year. Uh, but I, I did not draw that comparison at all. I was more upset that it was just thrown together with a weak build than it trying to compare it to, to Tessa and Gale. Yeah. I hope it's really good and delivers, and um, but we will find out Sunday night. Should have a good crowd, though, because they're in Toronto, and they will love Trish. Yeah, for sure. Uh, next up, Finn Balor faces uh, The Fiend Bray Wyatt. Uh, for me, this was a feud that did not work back in like 2017 when they did it. Uh, and a large part of that was the fact that Bray Wyatt was completely stale as a character. Thankfully, he did get away. He's been reinvented a bit. The Firefly Funhouse got over. He has the Fiend persona. But here's the thing. Now he has to get in the ring. Is he just going to be the same Bray Wyatt? Because if he is, the whole reinvention and no matter how cool his mask is, isn't going to mean shit. So he has to bring something new and fresh to the table for this to really succeed. And I hope he does because WWE needs to make more viable stars. And Bray obviously has a lot of good things going for him and he's over. Uh, Finn is obviously extremely reliable for a good match and he's about to take time off, so... Uh, why it should win here. It should be good if they do it right, but uh, 
it should not go too long. It should really be the fiend kind of destroying him for the most part. When when you said like, is this going to be a different Bray Wyatt? I, I I agree with you. You know what's going to be the difference between the fiend and you know just regular ass Bray Wyatt? Much like what's the difference between the demon and regular ass Finn Balor? I don't know if this is the match where we find that out because I could most certainly see this match go being very quick because Balor's not bringing out the demon so you know it's just going to be regular Balor why shouldn't and, and he's reportedly taking time off after SummerSlam anyway because he's getting married or is married and it's going on his honeymoon or something um like why shouldn't the fiend just squash him and then Balor takes time off then you do demon against fiend down the line and I maybe you you're booking yourself into the corner because one of those has to lose and you want to potentially protect that. But at some point, one of those guys is going to have to lose anyway. And they can do a lot. It's a story they've sort of done, but did it very badly. This is would be a much better version of that story. And I've loved everything about this this Bray Wyatt. Like the Firefly Funhouse stuff has been great. The the Fiend attacks have been great. The whole presentation has been just really, really strong. Like using the mandible claw on Foley and Angle. It everything is clicked with this uh Bray Wyatt stuff that that we've seen since Firefly Funhouse. And he he should go over strong here. Especially yeah. if Balor's taking time off. He really should. And again, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Everything has clicked really well, and that's why I'm like, I, I'm hesitant about the match because I hope it's just not Bray Wyatt going in and doing a bunch of Bray Wyatt stuff we see all the time and doing his wacky spider walk and all that bullshit, you know? Right. Give, give me something different. Make it actually feel really fresh because it needs to be that. So, yeah, he should win here. He should dominate. It should not go long. And, again, especially because it's a long show and, and because it also makes sense in context of the feud and with Finn taking time off. Next up, Jeremy, sure. we got your boy, the best in the world, Shane McMahon versus Kevin <laughs> Owens. I'll go to you first. Uh, Owens should win in five seconds with a stunner. That would be the best for all concerned, honestly, but... uh. It's a big pay-per-view, and you know Shane McMahon needs to get his time, Jeremy, so he can do all of his Daredevil stuff. It's, uh, I, I, if that is the payoff to this whole angle, the angle has still sucked. It has still just sucked the life out of me, but at least that is a, a decent enough payoff. If the payoff is Shane McMahon putting Kevin Owens in a chin lock for five minutes and then doing his stupid punches that don't connect and Owens has to sell his terrible offense before Shane slips on a banana peel and Owens wins, then I guess it's a fitting payoff for how terrible this feud has been. Or not not this feud, but just this whole Shane McMahon best in the world run has been. I, I hope it's short. Owns Owns should legitimately just kick wham stunner one two three. That's it. That's the last we see of Shane McMahon forever. I do not disagree. That would be the best thing. And the also thing here is uh, Kevin Owens' uh, career is allegedly on the line per the stipulation. But uh, it would be stupid for him to lose for various reasons. And the top of that is because it makes no sense because WWE always does horrible with those 
people get fired angles and they're always magically in the building with their music and it's just not good. So yeah, I, I would be perfectly fine with like a five, 10 second match and Kevin Owens just celebrates and we're done. Yeah, that that's that's what it should be. Unfortunately, it's probably going to be the the Shane McMahon show. Yeah, what's worse, Shane striking or a submission game? <laughs> his his striking because that's been bad for twenty years. Yeah, twenty years now, and he hasn't improved one bit. He's like the Stefan Struve of of wrestling. Oh God, yeah. just uh, a submission game. It, that's still relatively new to his game, so I'll give him a pass on that. Uh, yeah, not good. Uh, next up, a submission match for the Raw Women's Championship. Becky Lynch versus Natalia. They've done jack and shit to build up any real viable challengers for Becky since WrestleMania. You had the Lacey Evans stuff, and now you're doing Natalia. And Natalia is reliable, but far from the great that a lot of people make her out to be. Uh, people talk about her like she has this long list of classic matches. And that is just not the case. Um, I'm also not a big fan of this being a submission match, despite the fact that they both have submission finishes, because when you have a submission match, you have to be really great to pull it off, but the stipulation completely negates traditional near falls, and oftentimes that, that uh, hurts the drama of a match and live crowd investment. It makes absolutely no sense for Natalia to win here. So Lynch should win. Hopefully it's solid. It may even be good. And like I talked about in the NXT preview, hopefully Becky moves on to a feud with the newly called up Shayna Baszler. It's... I haven't minded this feud. Natalia's promos on social media have been really good where I guess she can tape them multiple times or just has her, her cadence and wording down better. Her promos on Raw have sucked, and I, I feel bad for her because the social media stuff has been good, but the, the Raw stuff, which more people are going to see, has, has not been good at all. Becky should win, obviously. Natalia, I'm with you that you know they make her out to have all these classic matches. She she really doesn't. My, my biggest gripe is just that she's been around for a while. I don't think she'd brings anything like new or exciting to the table but she's getting this match because canada and and that's kind of what it is like i i hope becky wins fairly quickly in short order this match doesn't need to go too long i don't need to see becky selling a bunch of natalia's offense and just move becky on from Lacey Evans and Natalia because those two just don't excite anybody and it's no wonder that Becky feels pretty cold after one of the biggest Wrestlemania main events in history yeah and that's a real shame because we talk about a lot of time the follow-up is the key Jeremy yep so uh up next uh Smackdown Women's Championship match champion Bailey versus Ember Moon I go to you first I like the match. I Bailey, you know, they they gave her her moment with the title victory at, at Money in the Bank. She said she wanted new competition. She's getting Ember Moon. I will continue to say that I don't understand Ember Moon's gimmick. I don't know. Like a few months ago, she was just some video game geek who was getting bullied by Sonya and Mandy, and now she's back to Dark Empress 
whatever she wolf god damn it jeremy i've explained this to you for months she's the fucking sheen on (laughs) whatever (laughs) i was waiting for you to interrupt me with your with your explanation because i was just rambling there um i i I don't get it she nom whatever she is i don't get it bailey i like bailey she's hotter now than she certainly was prior to money in the bank where she was ice cold she might get some booze in this match it is a a face versus face match people are into ember moon and uh, bailey will probably win i want to know is this sasha comeback time yeah i think that's going to be the interesting thing um yeah, I've really liked the the re-elevation of Bailey. I thought it's been handled really well. And uh, we've talked about this in the past. Ember Moon was one of the quote-unquote victims of the Ronda Rousey run in that along with someone like Ruby Riot, they were very talented but unfortunately kind of got ignored and not properly utilized because the focus was on building up Ronda and obviously the big WrestleMania moment, which is understandable. So Ember finally gets a championship match. She gets it on one of the biggest shows of the year. I definitely think it has a chance to deliver because Bailey has a track record of delivering on big time shows and matches. Ember Moon's going to be looking to impress because she hasn't been giving those chances and she's going to want to be a player moving forward. I wouldn't be completely shocked with a title change, but I think the play is Bailey retaining for a potential match with uh, Sasha Banks if and when she returns. Here's the thing with with Sasha, and I don't read anything into her cryptic tweets because that's like that's what she wants you to do. She's part of the the 2K20 mode, the the showcase mode where it's four horsewomen and everything. They, I feel like they want to get her back on television as soon as possible to to really start pushing that. I think she knows that hey, they're probably gonna push me a, a decent bit because they. They're pushing the this the showcase mode very strong, and so I'll be part of that. Her friends are doing well. I mean, they're all on this show. We're getting three women's matches on this show, and you know, it's her her three best friends. So, and things have seemingly changed in WWE. I, I don't know if you agree to the extent that I do, but I've enjoyed Raw and SmackDown the these past two weeks. The the Raw reunion was a was a miss, but otherwise, like the shows have been good under the uh start dates for hey i know Heyman started a while ago but the start date for bischoff whether how much influence he has or not i'm not sure but the the past two weeks i think the shows have been for the most part good so i think banks returns here i'll I'll call it now sasha returns on this show all right there you go jeremy going out with the big prediction we like it that's what i do all right, uh, next up, WWE Champion Kofi Kingston versus Randy Orton. I think they've done a really, really good job building this feud, uh, playing into their past history together from over like 10 years ago. Uh, some really, really good video packages from these guys, and I think uh, I like continuity and playing into that stuff. I think Kofi's title run has been a bit of a mixed bag for me. I, I think he's been presented well as a winning champion, which is really important because... I was afraid he was going to get Rey mysterio a lot and like lose half the time on TV and just when he shouldn't. But um, for me, it's like he's been winning, but he's really lacked to me in high-quality or really interesting title defenses. And again, that's not all on him because his feuds have not been really well executed. Like the Kevin Owens feud wasn't really that well done because it was thrown together. The Dolph Ziggler stuff was kind of a dead end. 
So now you enter Randy Orton, someone WWE obviously still looks at and values as a top star. He's always over with the fans, but for me, the problem with Orton is that he's a good wrestler, but he's lacked high quality or really interesting matches over the last few years. And for those of you that are going to jump on this, it has nothing to do with the fact that Randy Orton doesn't do flippies or space-flying fucking tiger drops. It's because Randy Orton has a style that he likes. He has a match that he loves to work, and he rarely, rarely, rarely goes outside of that box, which leads to a very predictable and sometimes lackadaisical formula. And that is where my problem comes with him. It's not that anything he's doing is necessarily bad. It's just, I'm like, I keep waiting for something more. So I'm hoping that he feels really motivated here in a major SummerSlam match. Maybe bring something a little new and fresh to the table. Uh, I definitely think that we could see a title change here. Because WWE told the Kofi story. They paid him off. They gave him a much stronger run than I ever anticipated. But they are making changes with the ratings and uh, portions of the business being down. Heyman and Bischoff are in. Brock got the belt back. And I can see Vince going back to Randy Orton here, who he sees as a major star. I wouldn't be surprised if Kofi retains, but I think we'll see a title change. As I've said throughout this feud, everybody was waiting for Orton and Kofi because they have the history and they've told it during this during this chapter. And they've done a great job of it, too. Yeah, yeah. Like Everyone's been clamoring for this. Until Randy Orton wins, and then everybody's gonna be like, "What? What the fuck?" Because Orton, I'm with you. I don't. I like old man Orton who just comes in and RKO's people. He's on social media, like his wife is giving him an RKO. He's he's twerking for his neighbors, trying to pop him and stuff. Like old man Orton to me, is, I'm I'm on board with it. And if he wins here, I actually wouldn't be upset with it. And because the Kofi story, you're right, it has been told. And they they told it very well. He got a much better run than most people anticipated. I'm with you that the matches felt colder than they should have. That's not necessarily his fault. It's just they had no one for him. So they brought in Dolph Ziggler, who no one cares about. And they, they turned Kevin Owens two weeks after turning him because uh, they, they couldn't get anyone else. And, and Brian had some medical issue and wasn't going to Saudi and all this stuff. So they, they had to do what they, what they did or they did what they did with, with uh, his, his challengers after WrestleMania, but he's been winning and he's been presented as a strong champion. I think this will be his best match since WrestleMania because of the story, because Orton, he might go out of his comfort zone in in this one and not quite work that same methodical style that that we know him for because he doesn't have too many matches left kofi can bring that out of him and it's a it's SummerSlam. it's a it's a big stage for him so i have semi high hopes for this i think kofi wins but I, i'm with you that it, i wouldn't be shocked if randy orton wins and i wouldn't even mind it yeah it'd be definitely interesting to see what happens uh, and finally, the main event, Universal Champion Brock Lesnar versus the geek of the fucking century right now, Seth Rollins. <laughs> you don't have to do the backstory for this one. It's the same story they told going into WrestleMania. Like, legitimately almost the exact same story. And Rollins is using his 
uh, leftover quotes that he didn't get out prior to the WrestleMania match for for this media tour. <laughs> Brock, Brock should squash this dude in 30 seconds. Well, judging by the last two weeks of TV, yeah, because apparently Seth <laughs> has no fucking innards left. <laughs> I, I would not mind that. I'm... I'm sure I actually don't know if they tell the whole Seth Rollins is a you know underdog and he shouldn't be here but he comes in here and he slays the beast again and blah 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 like I don't know if they tell that exact same story because that's almost the the same story they told at WrestleMania again but I would be completely fine if Brock just kills this dude and then you move Brock on. Like you put the title on someone who isn't Seth Rollins. Going back to Kofi and Orton real quick, we talked about how like the title matches have been like kind of underwhelming and because they didn't have people to go to. And that goes back to what we talk about all the time and that they hadn't built up viable stars to be challengers. Like, this time this year, I mean, Andrade should have been in a position to where he could have been a challenger of the month and had a really great match with Kofi. Even if it was only for one month, but they never put the investment into trying. And they didn't do it with a lot of people. That's just one example. So that was that's one of the problems there. But yeah, this match, I mean, in theory, Brock should just squash him. But Brock does like working with these smaller quote-unquote work rate guys. Uh, Brian, AJ, Finn, Punk back in the day. I mean, so, I mean, if he's feeling froggy, maybe they work a longer match. But then again, maybe it's just like a recreation of the Lesnar killing Cena match with 800 suplexes and just doing like a really long squash. But uh, yeah, Seth has just been a geek and you could say he's trying to be the hero all he wants, but that was pathetic Monday night when he gets his ass beat. And then he crawls out there for the big sympathetic moment. And nobody cared. Dude, nobody cared. And his delivery even, like, there was no conviction behind his delivery. He's just like, I'll be there. Well, that's the thing. He's not a good promo. For (laughs) something like that angle to work, you know what you needed? You needed someone like Mick Foley. Yeah, Because Mick Foley would have sold that beating... And he would have had that quivering hesitation in his voice. And it would have been all dramatic and you would have totally bought it. But Seth is like, I got beat up. It sucks. I don't know if I can do this anymore. My girlfriend's (laughs) more over than I am. But I'm going to be there and I'm going to beat up Brock because he's a meanie. And then when I lose, I'm going to end up being Sting and I'm going to go away for a while. That'd be cool. Seth Sting. Telling you, they're sting, probably gonna do something. Sting like Rollins. They're probably gonna do something like that. So, not, not so much Sting, but like him going away and doubting himself, and CrossFit Jesus will rise on the third month or something, <laughs> and come back and beat Brock. Who the fuck knows? But he come back as Batman after Bane broke his back. There you go. So yeah, I think I think we're in agreement. Uh, Brock probably wins. I, I mean, I'm not totally in agreement. That's what I want. That's what I think is the the better move. But I could also just see them retelling the the same story they told at WrestleMania. And on the point of like challengers, like look at Seth challengers after WrestleMania. It's Baron Corbin, who's not even on the show anymore. Like, Thank God. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
and this is like this is an issue like rollins was he was fairly hot after wrestlemania like he did get the big win over brock it was a good match rollins was fairly hot going into that match certainly much hotter than he is going into this match and then they pair him with baron corbin it's like how do you expect this guy to re- remain hot after you you pair him with baron corbin and then you're retelling the brock story and you're actually telling it worse this time around and rollins just comes off so much worse this time around i i like the idea of the the cena match recreating that where it's a, a longer squash rollins gets like his hope spots and stuff and that's sort of what they do with brock anyway uh but i i like i, I like that idea and yeah keep the title on brock who cares yeah i i really don't see a reason to change the title it just it, it would feel really it would just feel really silly to me after doing the cash and then just well it's SummerSlam. let's do a title change so, I mean, if, if you're going to put it on Brock, at least try to get something out of it. I don't know who the hell challenges him next, but you know, I guess we'll figure that out afterwards. Who the hell knows if they even know. Yeah, I, I'm i trying to think of the, the Raw roster, and like the only person that comes into mind is Roman, but he's on technically on SmackDown, and... I feel it. They they they'll get more life out of at least they should out of two attempted murders uh, than literally no big reveal and uh, tag team match or one singles match. They should get way more run out of that. So Roman's probably out, and then like who else? Braun? Like you bring him in just to have Brock beat another monster? That's the only person I can think of, and even Braun is like ice cold, but. They, they like Braun, and, you know, they can always build up those monsters quickly. Plus, Brock's already killed him twice. Well, yeah, that that's the thing. Braun is cold. He's not even really all that credible to Brock because Brock has beaten him twice. And, and then what are you doing? Having Braun lose to him a third time? Or you know, they actually put the title on Braun, which I don't know if, if that's actually going to happen. So... Like, who else is there on the Raw roster that can... I said Becky should just come out and beat him. And then she breaks up with Rollins for his comments about intergender wrestling. There you go. But yeah, I who the hell knows, man? It's just... It, it's hard to predict because it just doesn't feel like there's anybody ready to step up to that next level. There, there are people ready to step up. The problem is they... No, okay. There are people ready, but yeah, there yeah. aren't position to do so right right i i knew what you were saying um yeah they're they're not in a position to do so they haven't built anyone credible over like really this this whole year uh as far as that's why they went to baron corbin and a returning dolph ziggler and a double turning kevin owens as the title challengers coming out of wrestlemania they, they they haven't they didn't build anyone beyond WrestleMania, which is a shame. But that that's what they've done. Um, I I don't know who you can you can put in this spot. Ricochet, but Ricochet is most likely coming off a loss to to Styles, and you don't really want to just beat keep beating him. There's no one else that I can think of. And like looking over this card, like, who? Owens, if you do the brand switch thing, I, I think that could work. Um, again, wild card doesn't doesn't matter. So 
Owens is honestly like that's the best I can come up with right now. Yeah, I think if Randy wins, though, I think uh, Randy and uh, Kevin Owens is probably the next feud. Right, exactly, exactly. So, so either way, Owens is in the best position to be elevated into a world title feud after SummerSlam, whether it's Orton or Brock. Like, the rest of it, it's going to be sort of the, the heels are kind of getting the victories, and you're going to have potentially two heel champions. So Goldberg, let's just do Brock and Goldberg again. Why not? At least that was fun, though. It was that WrestleMania match was awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd watch it again at least. At least again, at least it'd be interesting. It'd be better than Dolph. Anything's better than Dolph. So, but Jeremy, that will wrap us up with our big uh, SummerSlam weekend preview. Uh, I thank you as always for your time. Yes, of course. Always happy to do it. And plenty of wrestling to talk about this weekend to review all this stuff. That's right. So quick reminder, we will be back late Saturday night. We'll talk the ROH card and NXT TakeOver. And then sometime Monday, we will record and talk SummerSlam and the G1 Final. And remember, you can follow the 411 on Wrestling Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around. If you have time, leave a five-star review on iTunes. And real quick before we go, Jeremy, I need to give a shout-out to Dr. Miller at Therapy. Dr. Miller is an insane wrestling fan. This dude was completely disappointed because I couldn't go meet Jushin Liger because he was going to meet him. And, like, every time I pop into therapy, he always has to talk about wrestling with me. Pretty much like the past three times I've been in, every conversation starts with, God damn, man. That Kota Bushi's fucking crazy. <laughs> and then, like, it was like the last time, though, he's like, he's like, I don't know where I've been, man, but he's like, where has Toriano been all my life? He's like, that yeah, dude is he hilarious. Yeah, so apparently his two favorites from the G1 right now are Kota Bushi and Toriano. That, but yeah. That's who your favorite should be, Toriano. Should be the favorite of every single living, breathing person on the planet Earth and Area 51. Yeah, I just, I crack up Dr. Miller every time I come in wants to talk wrestling. And he's like, he's like, this, this dude is so funny because like, when, after I got out of the hospital and stuff and I came home, um, someone made a really nice post about me on like the, uh, the Squared Circle Reddit or whatever it was. Really, really nice post about like the podcast I did and talking about my leg and everything. And uh, and like Dr. Miller saw this, he's like, he's like, dude, I saw that post on Reddit. That was really nice. And well, he's like, I'm glad to see you're back writing. And I'm like, fucking doctor's reading my shit. I'm like, that's kind of <laughs> cool. But like, yeah, apparently he enjoys the podcast. And he was like, I thought he was shitting with me one day. He's like, no, I listened to the podcast and he had it on his fucking iPod. It's like Jesus Christ, dude. I'm like, you're fucking cool as hell. I need to go out drinking with him sometime. There you go. And thank you for for listening. Please take good care of my boy and get him ready for WrestleCon in November. That's right. So, yeah, we'll be back this weekend. Jeremy, have a good week and safe travels tomorrow. Thank you. Ten-hour drive ahead of me. Should be fun. I hope therapy goes well for you on Thursday, buddy. Thank you, man. And, again, everybody, thank you for reading and have a good week.